The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 369. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do enroll. 10 Myths of American History, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You can also purchase one of my classes there. I've got 12. That's a great way to keep this podcast going, keep this podcast free of charge as well. So you get great stuff, you get a course, and you get this free content on the back end. So it's a win-win for you. You can also click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can get your Brian McClanahan book plate if you want my autograph of one of my books. My newest book, Southern Scribblings, is out. 60 Essays in Defenses of Southern Tradition. You're going to want to pick that up in addition to any of the other books that I have. A lot of great stuff out there. Also click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can get your Brian McClanahan show logo and all kinds of cool stuff. You can go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. I teach there with Tom and a lot of great, other great instructors. Again, a great educational website. So you've got all kinds of ways to support the show, all kinds of ways to keep the Brian McClanahan Show going free of charge. Consider one of those things because I do this for you. And, of course, if you like the show, share it around on social media, rate it wherever you get your podcast, let your friends know you're listening to it, and send me some show requests. I do like to read those, too. I may not get back to you with an email, but I do like to read those. So uh, I'd like to know what you're thinking and what you want to hear. All right. Well, let's talk about um, a Gallup poll that's out. This is a Think Locally, Act Locally episode. I know that some people say, when are they not? Well, I mean, sometimes I don't really talk about it as much. But really what, we, what we're looking at with Think Locally, Act Locally, it's how to handle the, the problems of American society when Americans are putting so much faith in the center. And this Gallup poll is reflective of that. It's something that, look, prescient thinkers knew about 100-plus years ago, 200 years ago. And, of course, Joe Biden's been in the Senate almost that long, but he's not one of those individuals. So we have a a situation where, um, well, first of all, we've got, of course, the big news, President Trump has coronavirus. And uh, this is creating a a crisis. You know, there are people wondering what's going to happen. Is Mike Pence going to take over? Is Nancy Nancy Pelosi going to become president? If Mike Pence has coronavirus, what's going to happen here? Well, Trump is still doing the job. He's not incapacitated. He's got a virus. I mean, this is, I mean, the the, the hysteria. I'm I'm wondering what's going to happen if Trump doesn't get gravely ill, if he just kind of gets over it. Are people going to think in the same ways about the virus or not? We all know it's potentially dangerous. Any virus is potentially dangerous uh, for the most part. And uh, we all know that this can make people gravely ill and kill them. Trump's in his 70s. So, uh, you know, Melania Trump has it. Some of the other, I'm sure other people in his inner circle are going to have it. And we're going to see how this all works out. But this does create an interesting situation because everything, when you look at the debate this last week, which, again, I've already covered, really wasn't much of a debate. It was just kind of a you know, an obnoxious rambling from two individuals in a lot of ways. 
When you look at American society, though, and what Americans expect out of the center, they expect the central government to do everything. That's why the questions are, what do you think about race? What do you think about the environment? What do you think about, uh, you know, XYZ, coronavirus? Coronavirus is a situation that's been handled on the state and local level almost the entire time. So this is a, a stupid question to ask. But again, the laser being focused on the presidency means that everything we're going to do is about national power. And that's the key. You see, Michael Holt wrote a great book about the political crisis of the 1850s. And what was the political crisis of the 1850s? Well, it was power. If you go back before that, you see, this is why when you say that you know, the war is about slavery. Well, I mean, certainly people talked about slavery a lot. There's no question about that. But why? Why did they talk about slavery a lot? Well, because the North wanted to control the central government and the South wanted to control the central government. And so by adding more states that are in line with a certain type of political economy, North or South, you're going to control the spoils. It's all about power. This is what Calhoun was pointing out in his disquisition on government. It's why everyone should read that book. It's only a little over 100 pages. And if you take my Southern Cultural Intellectual History Part 2 course at McLean Academy, I cover that. It's one of the most important political treatises in American history. Because Calhoun clearly shows what's at stake here. And of course, he gets into the concurrent majority and the idea of, of nullification and how some things could work. But he was pointing out, we're going to have major problems in American society if we don't start trying to respect minority rights in the government. If we simply have a national government where one, the party that's out of power is going to talk about the Constitution, the party that's in power is going to violate the Constitution, we're never going to get anywhere. And that's essentially what happens. Look, the Trump administration doesn't really care that much about the Constitution. At times they do. The Democrats we know don't care about it at all when they're in power. When they're out of power, they talk a lot about it. When the Republicans are out of power, they talk a lot about the Constitution, but they get in power and they don't do anything about actually following their principles, so to speak. If they are real constitutionalists and they want to follow the Constitution, they don't care because you see it's all about power. You go all the way back to 1789 when the Constitution was ratified. And that's exactly what you had there. The, the party in power or the faction in power at that point, we didn't have political parties like we do now. The Federalists didn't care anything about the Constitution. It was a means to an end. That's why you had Hamilton's economic system foisted on the United States. It's why you had the Judiciary Act of 1789. It's why you had all these things happen. And, of course, the anti-administration faction, which later became the Democratic-Republicans, would snipe constantly about the Constitution, and these things were unconstitutional. But generally, when they were in power, uh, you saw some violations of the Constitution as well. I mean, it just happened. They were a little more careful about it back then than they are now. They actually had debates in Congress about, well, is this even constitutional? Now you just have people stand up and say, well, it's of course it's constitutional because we did it, right? So it's constitutional, and we have the Supreme Court sorted all out. And that's not the way things were designed, designed to happen when we had the Constitution written and then drafted and then ratified. But it's always about power. And most Americans don't care about anything but that. They don't care about principles. They don't care about, you know, well, is this really going to be legal they don't care because at the end of the day, what they want to do is gain power and abuse the other side. That's where we've gotten in American society, which is why people are saying, you know, we're on this verge of another civil war. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think that Americans have gotten so hypersensitive about politics that decentralization certainly does need to happen. Think locally, act locally certainly needs to be happening. When you start talking about more homogenous political societies, 
based on whatever faction, whatever uh, you know, factor we want to base them on, whether it's class, whether it's race, whether it's I mean, whatever we want to do, you know, whether it's a region, whether it's culture, whatever it is. Uh, you know, these are things that Americans are looking at now because, and I've talked about it, you know, that little group, and uh, because they're, they're afraid of what's going to happen. I've talked about it, but that little group in Georgia that wants to create a safe haven for African Americans, you know, this is kind of a, a way to look at that. Or people are talking about moving to uh, New Hampshire to try to create a, the free state, or, you know, whatever the case may be, they're trying to do something because we're all hypersensitive about what's happening and we're all afraid of what happens if the other side gains power. Well, we know, we just had the Twitter CEO, one of the former CEOs of, of Twitter, stand up and say, well, he wants to execute people that are, uh, that are capitalists. He wants to kill them, land against the wall and execute them. You have people that are really dangerous. They are advocating violence on a regular basis against political opponents. When in reality, the best thing you can do is say, you know what, let's just part ways. We don't like each other. We don't want to get along. Fine. Why don't you go to your place and I go to my place and we just exist. We coexist. That's real coexistence. Don't try to force me to be like you, and I won't try to force you to be like me, and we'll be good. And this is where this Gallup poll, I want to talk about a new, a new article that's out. Uh, and it's uh, published October 2nd, so you know, today. It says, New High Favors One-Party Control of U.S. Federal Government. 41% of Americans favor unified control of federal government. 23% want divided control. 52% of Republicans want one-party control. 43% of Democrats favor one-party control. Now, this probably reflects what's going on right now. The Democrats are thinking, well, heck, if we had one-party control right now, they'd be all Republicans. We would just have the Republicans controlling everything. And, and then the Republicans are saying, well, yeah, we want it right now. Why? Because we control the presidency. Flip it around, Joe Biden wins. And Democrats are probably going to fall on that 52%. Republicans will go down that 43%. I mean, this is what's going to happen. The party in power always wants more power. So let me read this little article. A new high of 41% of U.S. adults say it's better to have a president and Congress from the same party. 23% would rather have one party control the presidency and the other control Congress, while 32% say it makes no difference to them. The results are based on Gallup's annual governance survey conducted August 31 through September 13th and come at a time when Americans are deciding whether to elect President Donald Trump to his second term in office. Republicans also control the Senate with a 53-47 majority, which is at risk, given that more Republican-held seats than Democratic-held seats are thought to be vulnerable in the election. The Democrats have a large majority in the House that congressional election experts do not currently believe is threatened. The prior high in preference for one-party government occurred in 2012 when incumbent President Barack Obama was running for a second term. One year later, in the midst of a federal government shutdown tied to a dispute over funding the Affordable Care Act, a record low 25% favored one-party government, with 38% saying it made no difference which parties held the White House and Congress. Historically, a plurality of Americans have usually said party control of government makes no difference. In addition to 2012 and this year, the other exceptions were 2002 and 2018, both midterm election years and 2005. Over the past five years, an average 36% of U.S. adults have expressed a preference for a unified party government and 24% for divided government, 12 percentage point difference. Before that, from 2002 to 2014, the gap was just three points, with 31% favoring unified government and 28% divided government. So generally, Americans have a plurality of favored uh, unified government. 
Um, and that's interesting that, a, that a, a plurality of favor unified government. But it, again, it depends on who's in power. I think right now, and I think the Gallup poll points this out, right now we've got a situation where Republicans are fearful of Democrats controlling the government. And they all, and look, Republicans also know, maybe they know, but when their party is in the Congress, their party doesn't do anything to stop anything. They just go along with the Democrats. But this piece gets into some of the other things about this particular situation. Currently, 52% of Republicans as well as 43% of Democrats believe it is better to have one party control the presidency in Congress. Just 31% of independents agree, with nearly as many, 27%, preferring divided control of government. Republicans' current preference for one-party government has been exceeded only once in 2018 when the party controlled the presidency in both houses of Congress. Historically, partisans' preferences have been shaped by whatever arrangement benefited the party most. As such, when Republican presidents George W. Bush and Trump have been in office, Republican Party supporters were more likely than Democratic Party supporters to favor one-party government. When Democrat Barack Obama was in the White House, governments were, I'm sorry, Democrats were generally more likely to favor one-party control of the federal government. Why? Because it's about power. It's all about power. This is the main point that I want to hammer home in this particular episode. It's power. So what is it that, I mean, how do you stop this? How do you keep this from happening? How do you keep people from grasping at this type of power? We got to decentralize. And you've got to create an environment, a political environment, where the states, the fourth leg of the stool, have as much control over domestic affairs in particular as the central authority. You see, again, because we've got national government, and you look at these numbers, it's razor thin. I mean, even at 52%, that means if that was the case across the board, then 48% of the population, the Democrats, would be abused by the Republicans. We know this. We know that if the roles reversed, that Democrats would abuse the Republicans in one way or another. You might say, well, I mean, it's not going to be direct. It's not going to be violent, whatever. But we know that 48%, so if you have 100 people, 48 people aren't going to be happy with the direction that the rest is going. Do we really want government that's got a four percentage point majority dictating what everybody, four people in a room of 100 essentially dictate what everybody else has to do? Is that even logically sound? Is that just? Is that fair and good government? Because you're abusing the other 48 people. I mean, what happens if these 52 people decided that the other 48 lose all their property? Well, you can say, well, we have laws against that, do we? And then we we pass this up out of that 100. Maybe there's uh, three people that then decide for the rest of the 100 if these laws were just. Is that good government? But this is essentially what we want when we're looking at Washington, D.C., determining everything from the center. Is that what we want? It's not what we really want. It's not what Americans really want or desire. This is what we get when you have national government. And nearly every year, independents have been less likely than both Republicans and Democrats to want the same party to control the White House and Congress. And while this t- the typical pattern holds this year, 32% of independents wanting one-party control is the highest measured for that group to date. The 43% of Democrats favoring one-party control this year exceeds what it was in several of the Obama years. 
So that's interesting. I mean, here the Democrats, because I think they know they're on the verge of potentially gaining control of the government. And what can they do with it? And I think this is where the, the last part of this particular essay matters. Implications is the subtitle. The consequences of divided versus one-party control of government are clear right now as Trump and the Republican-controlled Senate attempt to fill the open Supreme Court seat created by Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's, Ginsburg's passing before the November 3rd federal elections. When Obama nominated Judge Merrick Garland in 2016 after Justice Antonin Scalia's death, the Republican-controlled Senate refused to consider the nomination. Given that the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives has no formal role in judicial confirmations and a simple majority in the Senate is needed for confirmation, Trump nominee Amy Coney Barrett seems likely to be confirmed. But here is the real meat. Americans' preferences for one party or divided government appear to be rooted in the desire to maximize their party's power more than philosophical considerations about what leads to better political outcomes. That is an important statement. It appears to be rooted in the desire to maximize their party's power more than philosophical considerations about what leads to better political outcomes. You see, it's all about power. It always has been. The Democrats have been running around for four years, throwing temper tantrums, rioting, looting, doing all the things that Democrats are doing right now. Because the Democrats, and the left, I should say, not Democrats, but the left, have been the most violent political faction in the history of the world. In, particularly in, in Western civilization. So we've got a nasty situation. They have refused to concede. We know that they've concocted things to make stuff up. I mean, the whole Russia investigation, all that was a hoax. I mean, all these things were completely false. I mean, it was, it was fabricated, and it was done to delegitimize the power of the presidency. Now, if the Democrats were in power, they wouldn't have done any of this stuff. You wouldn't be seeing riots right now in any of these cities as Democrats were in power. Now, I know they control these cities, and that's one thing that's odd, because the cities where these things took place, it's not the Trump administration. That's the Democrats running these cities. It's Democrats in charge of these things, and yet they're, they're rioting against Trump. This is how stupid these people are, generally. It's how stupid they really are. But they... Because of the way we think about American politics, there's a laser beam focus on the presidency, a laser beam focus on the central authority. And because of that laser beam focus on the central authority, everything becomes nationalized, top-down, one-size-fits-all government. And that is extremely dangerous for liberty. It's extremely dangerous for minority rights. We're talking about razor-thin majorities. You have a, a new book out, uh, by a guy named Richard Kreitner, Break It Up. And it's a, it's a discussion of secession from the left. Finally, a leftist gets it. He put up a video on, on uh, Twitter after um, Florida basically canceled all of their, uh, all their uh, restrictions on bars and stay at home and all this kind of stuff. And it was a bunch of people in a bar having a good time. He said, this isn't my America. Well, what, what is the America you want? Clearly, he wants one where people can't go out and do anything. But we have that in some states. You can go live in those states. Why does Florida even matter to you anymore? Do you live in Florida? Does it matter if what Florida does? If you don't, if you don't live in Florida, who cares? Now, I know the, the argument is, well, but all the people go down to Florida, and then they vacation, they come back, they get coronavirus, they bring it back to us. 
Well, I mean, if we had real federalism, you could say, look, you're not coming into from if you go to Florida, you can't come back. Right. I mean, you've got to stay there. If we had real federalism that works. We could have policies in place in states, and I know states have looked at these things, but where you could have uh, restrictions on travel and other things to other states. I mean, this is, if this is what you wanted to do. But states have been handling that. This is the key to everything. People are unhappy because they think that somehow Trump is magically going to wave a wand and make everything better or everything worse. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It never has worked that way. And yet we live in this fantasy world where the central authority is everything. And it's because it works well for the federal government to, to write that fairy tale. Hamilton's America writes that fairy tale in big, bold letters. That's why I wrote a whole book about how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America. His vision for America is dangerous for American politics when you have razor-thin majorities. You go back to the late 19th century, early 20th century, where you had razor-thin majorities. You had... Uh, real problems when the government tried to centralize all power. And then, of course, once you get to World War II, you see World War II really was a turning point because of the immense nationalism that, that created. It allowed for the general government, which had been growing in you know spurts, it allowed for the general government to codify and solidify that large centralized state that had been created beginning in World War I and then uh, solidified in World War II, and people believed in it. Why? Because we won the war, right? We beat the Nazis. We beat the Japanese. We beat them. We won. So, hey, isn't America great? Isn't America great? We go out, wave the flag. Everything's great. We're all one people. Immigration, by the way, in the 1930s was at record lows for American history. Hardly anybody came into the United States during the Great Depression and World War II. We weren't allowing a whole lot of people into the United States. So, there was this homogenous belief, Americans are all one people. And then it all started to unravel. The Lincolnian myth, the Lincolnian nationalism, that was the high point of it in American history. It all started to unravel. And it all unraveled because Americans woke up and realized, well, that's not really the case. Or it started to unravel because when you start looking at centralized authority and you have one group or one section controlling the government and is abusing the other group or the other section or the other place, well, then what does that actually mean? It means dangerous government, which is why I always say to think locally and act locally. It doesn't mean you can't have petty tyrants at your city and your city government. It doesn't mean you can't have petty tyrants at your state government or your county government. Of course you can. But you have more control over those people than you do over Donald Trump or Joe Biden or your U.S. senator or your U.S. congressman that represents 700,000 people. So Americans want unified government because they want power. And that's very dangerous. I'm telling you right now, this is the great threat. The central authority, the Constitution, allows for centralization of power in a way that's dangerous to those of us who simply want to live and let live, uh, to have a system where you know, you respect property rights, you do things, you, you respect people's life, you respect their liberty, you respect these things, and you let people live. The central authority is dangerous to that. So, I think this Gallup poll is, I mean, look, I would have, I would ex have expected this in, in a lot of ways, but I think the Gallup poll is indicative of American preference for centralized power and abusing the other side when they're in power. It's human nature. 
you don't like that guy in the yard next to you that's got the uh, the Biden sign, or you don't like the guy in the yard next to you that's got the Trump sign. If you're on the other side, you don't like the the whatever the the symbol they put in the yard. Well, you know what? I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get in power, and I'm going to make sure they suffer. I'm going to make sure I take it out on them. This is just stupid, but it's it's what people generally do. And when you put it on a large scale, and you put it at Washington D.C., it gets really really dangerous. So the best thing we can do is start decentralizing. The best thing we can do is start looking at smaller political communities and societies. Maybe we have an overall commitment to uh, you know, defense and commerce, but it has to be so limited that uh, you can't interfere with uh, the everyday lives of people. I mean, that's, that's where we might be looking. Okay, so... That's it for this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. Only had you, only did this show three times this week, uh, and we're doing this on Friday. You know, I skipped a couple of days this week. Um, I will be doing the Abbeville Institute podcast. It'll be up tomorrow, uh, so you can get that. So you get four times this week instead of five. Uh, but regardless, uh, we will uh, we will be back hopefully to a to a full schedule next week. I mean. It depends on what's going on, and I know I try to do this four times, and as things happen, doing the podcast is not my full-time job, so uh, I do need to take that in step. So um, I am trying to do these episodes as much as I can, so just hang in there, just bear with me. We might go back to a couple of weeks. I mean, it depends on how things work out. But anyways, third episode this week, you're going to get the Abbeville Institute podcast. Going out to look for Abbeville Institute, just go to their website and click on that podcast, and of course, you can get that podcast as well. It's all things Southern, and... Um, I appreciate you tuning in for that one, too. Until next time, I'll, I'll see you later. See you later on the Brian McClanahan Show.